Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Thank you for that introduction. I'm super excited to share about this. Um, a little bit nervous. Uh, this is the fourth time, actually, that I've spoken on a Sunday morning, so I'm getting thrown right in the fire. As you can tell by this first slide, I'm getting thrown right in the fire for sure. Um, I also learned that during a leadership meeting, never suggest a, a sermon idea to Pastor Cameron unless you fully plan on teaching it. So here I am. Awesome. So last week we wrapped up our year-long series on our core values at New Day. You probably have heard all of them, um, Father, Heart of God, Intimacy, um, Restoration, and Evangelism. Um, but this week we're launching this new series on sex. Best Sunday ever, right? We're talking about sex in church. Uh, the Lions are in the playoffs. We are truly in the end times. Um, what is going on? So over the next several weeks, we'll be talking about um, sex, and Pastor Cameron will be talking about why the devil hates sex and God loves it. He'll also be talking about the issue of homosexuality, um, and Bill Menzer will be giving a real talk about pornography. You guys ready? Yeah. I know I am. Um, so I'm also going to kind of hit a, a subject that's a little bit difficult to talk about. I feel like all those topics that I just um, listed are tough to talk about in church, and sometimes aren't addressed, and that's why we're doing it. It's important. And today I'll be talking about singles and sexuality, right? Um, now, before I lose like 75% of my audience here, I know, well, actually today there's more singles in this part. But anyway, earlier this morning there's like mostly married people. But this, I feel like this is a topic that applies to you no matter where you are in life. Um, if you think about it, at some point in your life, you'll have to deal with a season where you're not having sex. Um, whether it's your, God forbid, you get divorced or widowed, um, or you can't have sex for a season in your life for physical reasons, there's always a time where we're not having sex. And does that mean our sexuality just disappears, poof, that our sex drive stops revving? No? <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> at least it doesn't for me. Um, so some of you might be saying, I wish it did, but it doesn't. And today we're going to look at different ways that you can approach your sexuality um, when you're not having sex. And I'm going to start by talking about a really bad TV show that I've been watching. Um, I, you know that it's bad because it's on MTV. You know that it's terrible because it's called Virgin Territory. It is truly awful. And before you start judging me on why are you watching this terrible show, let me explain it to you. I'm, you know, I'm a youth pastor here. I want to be up to date with what's going on. I want to know what type of shows that teens or young people may or may not be watching. So I saw a commercial for it because on occasion my wife likes to watch MTV. And I was like, pique my interest. I'll watch it, see what's going on. And then it was like a hideous, horrible car wreck. You watch it and you just can't look away. And I found myself watching several episodes of it, and it exceeded my expectations of awfulness. There may be no redeemable quality in this show. Um, let me tell you why. Um, first of all, sex was treated as something to be explored before marriage. Um, virginity was um, seen as a gift, not, not as a gift from God, but as um, a cheap token of affection 
for whatever that high school crush is. Or a label. Virginity is a label to rid yourself of before you get into college. Nobody wants to be the college freshman virgin in this show, right? And it's really interesting. It follows these, these young virgins in their, their teens and their 20-somethings um, who, for whatever reason, unbeknownst to the creators of the show, they are virgins. Gasp. Um, and it followed this, the, these virgins, and it, um, one of them was a guy who was 22 years old. And he's doing an interview on camera, and he actually breaks down crying because he hasn't lost his V-card. For those of you who don't, aren't hip with the lingo, that's virginity. He hasn't lost his virginity, and he's really upset about that. And he eventually does lose his virginity. Um, he has sex with some friend who he has no romantic relationship with whatsoever. She was doing it as kind of a favor to the guy. Oh, you must be really bad shape, guy. And then so... It, it, the show actually captures her, his um, post-sex reactions. And he goes on camera and he's like, uh, with this goofy grin on his face, he says, once you do it, you're not going to regret it. You're going to want more. This is what's being said on this show and in the media. Um, it, it gets worse. Then there was this, another girl who was featured. She grew up in the church. She's a virgin. She wants to save herself from marriage. She's engaged to be married. And it f- kind of follows her on this awkward journey um, as she prepares for the wedding day, but more importantly, the wedding night. Wink, wink. And she um, it captures her, her anxiety and the awkwardness and talking about sex with her future husband and with people that she knows. And it even captures this really weird discussion she had with her pastor whose only advice was to, to her and her fiancé was to not get your hopes up about the wedding night. The sex might not be that good. Thanks, Pastor. Appreciate the godly wisdom. Now, I'm sure that they probably edited out some of his good wisdom, but this is what is being portrayed in the media today. And it's not just on the show. It's everywhere. Movies, books, um, magazines, Internet porn, wherever you look, that message, I feel like, is being portrayed to us. How do we respond as a church? I think as a church, we need to know the truth about sex, what the Bible says about it, and not to be shy sharing it, not only in the church. I've said sex more times in this church than I ever have in the umpteen years I've been going here. Um, we should not be afraid to, to talk about it here and outside of the church. And most importantly, what I'm going to talk about today is how can those of us who are single Christians um, live abundant lives that speak to the value, the beauty, and the importance of purity? Sound good? Awesome. Hopefully this message will give us some practical ways to look at that. Um, Let's start the slides here. Today we're going to be talking about, briefly, what the Bible says about purity. Then we'll look at how should singles or those who aren't having sex, approach their sexuality. And then we'll look at practical ways to live that out, to stay pure but not completely bury our sexuality. Sound good? Let's kick it off with talking about sexual purity in the Bible. What does the Bible have to say about sex? And I'm going to frame it with this statement. And it's God is good. All that he creates is good. God created sex. So it is good. Boom. Truth bomb. Revelation there. Um, Pastor Cameron actually will probably do a whole sermon on that, so it'll be really good. 
But that's just the basic idea, right? The, the devil, the enemy, doesn't create anything. He just twists and manipulates and perverts the good things that God has created. And Pastor John Piper really says it best, and I'm just going to read this quote to you. I, I think it's really good. He says, Satan does not create sexual desire. It is good. And he never produced anything good. His whole aim is to ruin what God created to be good. There are two ways you can ruin a pearl. You can cut it out of the oyster before it matures, or you can feed it to the swine. Satan does his best to cut off sexual desire from the oyster of God's grace and truth. If he can get people to isolate sex from the reality of God, he has virtually destroyed its true meaning and beauty. He also does his best to take the pearl of sexual desire and instead of putting it in the pendant of marriage, feed it to the swine of fornication and adultery and pornography. A lot there. I think it's really good because it talks about how the enemy tries to cut off our sexuality, our sex drive, which is a gift from God, and, and separate it from God's truth. He's a master manipulator. He tries to separate the gift of sex that's designed for marriage and, for, and to put it in another context. Make sense? Awesome. And the Bible is clear. Sex is a gift designed for a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. 1 Corinthians 7.2, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her husband. If we look further, um, another passage, Mark chapter 10, 10 verse 7, um, says, a, if I can find it, Jesus says, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Sex is designed um, to bring physical, emotional, and spiritual unity to a husband and a wife. The Bible is clear. Um, but even, even outside of marriage, sex can bring two people together, right? If we look at what Paul has to say, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 16, he says, Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is, for it is said, the two will become one flesh. Not too long ago, Pastor Cameron gave a great teaching about um, soul ties or relationship knots, as he called it. The best way to get yourself in, in a nasty relationship knot or soul tie is to have sex outside of marriage. And a few verses later in, in 1 Corinthians 6, um, Paul tells us to, to flee sexual immorality. What does this word flee mean in the Greek? It means to actually flee, to run away, to seek danger or to seek safety from danger. There is an inherent danger in sexual immorality, Paul tells us. What is sexual immorality? Well, it's not just having sex outside of marriage. It's a much broader term. In the Greek, it's uh, porneia, I believe. I don't, I'm not a biblical scholar. I'm not going to be able to pronounce that for you. But basically, it's um, a broader term. It means any sexual gratification apart from marriage. That can look like pornography, lust, daydreaming, romance novels, any of those things. And if you grew up in the church like I did, you've probably heard these verses before and probably a lot more. The church is very good at telling us what not to do, right? But what are we supposed to do with our sexuality when we're not having sex? We know that we're not supposed to when we're single, um, but what are we supposed to do with it? So I'm going to propose 
that there's five different kind of approaches you can take to your sexuality um, when you're single. And they are, you can sin, you can suffer, you can settle, you can strive, or you can surrender. Let's take a look at these, shall we? How are we doing? Lots of stairs. This is good. I'm embracing the awkwardness right now. I've said sex more today than ever before. Here we go. Number one, we can, we can just sin. We can give up. We can say, this is too hard. I'm going to have sex outside of marriage. I'm going to look at pornography, go too far with a boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever that might look like. doesn't seem like the best option. And there's, the, like, in our mind, the flagrant sins like that. Well, there's the little ones that Satan tries to come in and say, you know, it's subtle, it's secret, so it's not a big deal. Like, might start with, hey, I'm noticing a um, swimsuit edition of Sports Illustrated. Maybe I'll just peruse this, looking for the articles. <laughs> keep looking, keep looking. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, you're looking at pictures of naked women, looking at pornography, hardcore pornography. That's how it escalates. Um, I can speak from experience that does happen. That is a real phenomenon. And what's the problem with this approach, with sin? It's probably pretty obvious, but the problem is that sin, even if it is secret, even if you think it's subtle, it separates us from God. And the Bible doesn't teach us that sexual sin is any worse than any other. But it does tell us that sexual sin is unique. Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, 19, he says, All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? If you're a Christian, you believe that that Christ died for your sins so he could put his very spirit, his very Holy Spirit within you. You are a temple of the living God. And if you think about the temples in the Old Testament, God gave his people very specific instructions on how to build that temple. They are beautiful, ornate, detailed, clean. I feel like what the Bible is telling us is that when we commit a sexual sin, we desecrate the temple of God, our bodies. And I can tell you from experience um, that sexual sin in particular will affect your relationship with God. For several years, I struggled with a pornography addiction. And at that time, I noticed, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm connecting with God. This is strange. It should have been obvious to me, um, but it wasn't. And the reality is, is that um, you struggle to experience, I struggle to experience the Holy Spirit in worship, to hear his voice, those type of things. Um, and it was due to these, what I considered subtle, secret sins. Make sense? Awesome. Another, another approach we can take is to suffer through it. We can um, say, oh, woe is me, I am single, I'll never have sex, I, this gift of celibacy is actually a curse. You, and when you have that attitude, and I had that one too, is you'll notice a common theme that I struggle with a lot of these. Um, you can allow your singleness to define you. You can allow your singleness or your lack of sex to determine your value. And what's interesting is during Paul's life, singles were really devalued. The emperor of Rome at the time was charging an additional tax to those who were unmarried. He thought that um, those who were unmarried were bad for the economy. 
So when, when Paul tells us that it's good to be single, and he tells us that he wishes everyone were like us, like him, in being single in 1 Corinthians um, 7, that was radical. That was a radical idea in that day. And it's really a radical idea now that, that we don't put our value in our status, whether we're um, single or not having sex. So what's the problem with this particular approach? The problem is, is that you suffer. The problem with suffering is you suffer. It's depressing. It leaves God out of the picture um, because sex or marriage has become your God. And I can share this because, again, I've, I've gone through this myself. These approaches, this is how, what it ends in. What else can we do? We can, we can settle. We can say, well, I know that I can't have sex outside of marriage, so I'll just lower my standards of marriage and get married so I can have sex. And, Mar- and, I, and I didn't do this one, but I was tempted to. Your standards might start off, I want a handsome, funny, spiritually mature man of God. Then it becomes, you've had some series of disappointments with guys, and you're like, oh, he doesn't have to be that smart or funny. That's all right. <laughs> then it's maybe, uh, spiritual maturity, he'll grow in that area. Then it's like, he doesn't have to be a believer, right? I mean, I can change him. I can change this guy. And before you know it, it becomes, he's breathing, he's male. He's attracted to me. Let's go for it. I'm, I, I'm exaggerating. I'm joking. I'm kidding. But, but it's, it's, there's an element there that, that, that it builds on each other. Like you, once you start um, compromising your standards, it's easy to get in a pattern of doing that. Um, a pastor that I once heard said, it's better to struggle through being single than to be miserable and married. Don't want to hear any amens out there from the married people. There we go. We, have a, we all have great marriages. So what's the problem with settling? The problem with settling is you rob yourself of the joy of God's best for you. God wants you to have an awesome partner in life. Don't settle. All right. Um, another thing we can do, another approach to our sexuality, is that we can strive. We can say, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I can do this on my own strength. I can conquer my sexuality. I can put the brakes on my sex drive, so to speak. And instead of asking God for restraint and asking him to you know, help you celebrate your singleness, you can try to separate yourself completely from your sexuality. You can try to kill your sex drive. And this is probably the one that I struggle with the most. And the problem with it is glaring. It's because when you inevitably fail at killing your sex drive and you sin, it produces shame in your life. Again, because you're leaving God out of the picture. Does this make sense? I'm not getting a lot of eye contact. That's okay. It's a little awkward. What you'll notice about these four options that I just listed is a common theme. You're leaving God out of the picture when you do those, these, take those four approaches. And maybe it's a mixed approach like me, and I tried all of them. Found out that they're all terrible, and I tried this. I surrendered. Um, you can actually surrender your body and your sexuality to God. You can say, my body's not my own. My sexuality is not my own. I give it to you, God. 
And you might be saying, Aaron, that's not true. Of course it's my body. It's my sexuality. That's what the culture tells us. If you're a believer, you believe Romans chapter 6. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Your body, your sexuality, they are gifts from God. We don't need to explore them before marriage. We don't need to try to bury them while we're single. But we can celebrate it and, and still live pure lives. And we'll talk about how we do that. So what does this idea of surrender look like? You've heard it said, resolve, you know, to seek first the kingdom of God. And you can take this sexually and say he will add unto you everything you need sexually. Whether it's the perfect spouse at the perfect time or the grace and freedom to live single, pure, content, abundant lives. If we give it to him, we seek his kingdom first, let him worry about the rest of it. So how do you do this? If you grew up in the church, again, you're probably like me. What does that even mean to surrender my body and my sexuality to God? That seems kind of weird. I think we just make it a lot more difficult than it really is. It starts with a prayer. It starts with a prayer that says, God, I know that my, my body and my sexuality are gifts. They're not my own. I want to live out my sexuality in the way that you want me to. And it starts with that. And after you've spoken that out loud, and after you've agreed to it, I just want to give you some practical things to stay in that place. To stay in that place of surrender, to live out purity, but also live abundant lives that speak about the value of your purity to the culture. Sound good? So... Here's some practical things. Oh, I'm going to get through these. With our, what we can do with our sexuality to stay in that place. Number one and most important, pursue intimacy with God. Ultimately, we as human beings all have this desire, this innate desire for intimacy. The intimacy that I enjoy with my wife is just a shadow of the level of intimacy that the Lord wants to have with me. It's just a picture. And even in the closest and most intimate of marriages, think of that power couple that you know. Even those, that couple doesn't share the same spirit. But what God offers to us is that. He offers to put his very spirit within us. 1 Corinthians 6.16, Paul's talking about marriage, saying the two will become one flesh, man and woman. But then he says, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. That's the intimacy that we're after. That's what we want. Cool? Awesome. Another practical thing to do, get in the Word. When I talk with pastors that, that, are, that counsel people in the area of sexual sin, they often ask that person, well, are you, are you praying? Are you reading the Bible every day? And the answer a lot of the times is no. If we want um, to stay pure... We've got to immerse ourselves in the truth. Psalm 119.11 says, Your word I have laid up in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's a correlation. There's a connection between reading the word and staying pure. We can pursue close friendships. We're created for a relationship. Some of the, mo- the fondest memories of my single life was hanging out with the crew from Dwell, our young adult community, and just hanging out. What was unique about our group was that it was a group of young people that were committed to living sexually pure lives. 
So, so, so with some of my close friendships, we were able to keep each other accountable and, and, and help each other on our journey of staying pure. Accountability is so important in staying pure. And so is the value of close friendships and relationships. Number four, you can discover your manhood and your womanhood. There is more to sexuality than the act of sex. Sex is also another word for gender. Um, A side note, uh, a friend of mine in third grade learned this the hard way. We were taking one of those standardized tests, you know, you put your name, your age, your grade, then it comes to your sex. I put male on mine. And I looked over to my friend's test, not to cheat, just a little glance, and noticed that he said, none under sex. (laughs) I leaned over to my buddy and said, got a problem? I put none on under sex. He said, Aaron, what do you think? We're only in third grade. (laughs) True story. True story. A big part of our sexuality is figuring out who we are as men and women. Guys, we can work to become men who are prayerful, righteous, loving. We can lead a household. We can provide. We can raise up um, children to be godly. Women, what does it mean to be clothed with strength and dignity? To speak with wisdom and faithful instruction. To fear the Lord. Those are the things that it says in Proverbs 31, talking about a, a, a woman of good character, a woman who's noble. That's what we should be seeking after. That's part of our sexuality. Number five, pursue a healthy body image. This is tough in this culture. Everywhere you see it, we're in a Photoshop culture. Fake women, fake men on billboards, and it's tough. But we can seek out in our relationship with the Lord a healthy body image and love our, our bodies. Psalm 139, verse 14 is often quoted when we talk about this. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you know it in your head. But God wants to put it in your heart and and, and make it so every day when you look in your mirror, you can say, I love you. You're a good-looking guy. You're a good-looking gal. Number six. I'm almost done here. Pray for your future spouse. Some of us are going to... Some of us are going to be called to celibacy, maybe. Paul says it's a good thing, so maybe this doesn't apply to you. But for those of you who want to be married someday, praying for your future spouse is huge. It's something that I didn't do a lot, but thank God for my mom. She did every single day for 26 years, and she rejoiced a year and a half ago when I married that beautiful girl right there. Um, there's power in praying for your, your, your future spouse. Um, and the reason behind that is that it helps with your, your, your walk for purity. When you're thinking about one day I'm going to be married, you don't want to sin against that person. At the same time, you're not just trying to bury your sex drive and say, that's not, that's not a part of me, I don't need that. This is powerful. I, I can't say it enough. I wish I would have done it more. Thank you, Mom. Number seven, this is the last one. This is a little different. Um, you can explore all five senses. I had never thought about it until I read an article recently in Christianity Christianity Today um, about it. And it was an article by a woman who's in her 30s. She's single. She's lived the whole life of being single. And this is what she has to say about it. I'm just going to read a brief snippet. She says, In his goodness, God has kept me single far longer than I ever wanted. 
Yet perhaps precisely because I have stayed single for so long, I have been free to visit a dozen countries and more than 20 states, feel to, or free to hear jazz in India, feel equatorial rain on my skin in Singapore, to taste tiny fried shark in New Zealand, to smell sage in Pignon in Santa Fe, and to see the 200-year-old home where my great-grandmother lived as a girl on the Isle of Man. Do then I define my single adulthood as saying no to sex or as stretching the boundaries of bodily experience ever outward? It's interesting. God created us all to be sensual people, to explore the senses, to explore our bodies. I'm not saying to look at pornography or masturbate. That's not what I'm alluding to. I'm alluding to exploring your, um, your senses. Like this woman said, you know, hearing jazz in India, feeling equatorial rain. Um, there's more ways to explore your senses than just sex, right? And in order to be able to do that, in order to do any of these seven things, we have to be in a place of surrender. Like I said earlier, we need to say that, my body's not my own. My sexuality's not my own. God, take me on this journey with you. You be my strength. If we surrender and we do these things, and you'll probably come up with a list of bigger than this, but other things you can do, God's going to lead you on a journey where we discover true intimacy, fullness of life, joy, adventure, love. We can live a full life. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right. If you guys want to stand with me, whether you're single, married, whatnot, this is a good message for all of us. We want to, just single or married or whatnot, that makes a lot of sense. If you're single or married, it doesn't matter. Get on your feet. We're going to pray. Um, I think it's, it's important to, no matter where we're at, surrender our bodies, surrender our sexuality to God. He's in control. Can we just pray together on that? Father God, we just love you so much. We're thankful. We're thankful for the gifts of our bodies. We're thankful for the gifts of, of sexuality, for sensuality. You created it. It's good. It's good that we're talking about this in church. A little awkward, not going to lie. It's, it's, it's difficult, but it's good. We want to live lives that are uh, sexually pure, um, whole, full, and awesome, God. And we just believe that in the act of surrendering, you will lead us on this journey of purity, of holiness, of truth, of joy, of abundance, God. And as we do that, we will speak the truth to the world about the value of purity. Let us be a church that values purity and speaks that to the world, speaks that to the culture, God. And we know that we mess up. We still have forgiveness. There is grace. You welcome us back with uh, open arms, no matter um, what our past is. No matter what offenses we may have committed in the past, those are the past. And we can live pure and holy now. We desire that, Lord. Thank you for getting me through this sermon, God. I appreciate it. You're so good. We ask that you just bless everyone here today. And then we pray. Amen.